I am Sam J. Jones, Flash Gordon. Okay. Oh, excuse me. That's okay. It's been a long day. <laughs> the dome always does that to me. Okay. It's good to be seen. It really is. And you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in mass invasion. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give me witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Good evening, everybody. Or if you're in Kuala Lumpur, good afternoon. It's Talkcast <laughs> 270. Isn't that a bear? <laughs> sure. Kuala Lumpur? No, that's a koala. That's what I thought you said. No, Kuala Lumpur is an island. Kuala Lumpur is, I believe, a tumor on a fuzzy little bear. Ah. Oh. And tonight it's, uh, wow, everything that's gone wrong already has, so this is going to be a perfect show. <laughs> Thanks for jinxing it. Not a problem. <laughs> Deep in Area 51 on the Sub-Level 9 True South Glideway next to the movie reboot booth where any movie company can put in a quarter and come up with something done before to do again and again and again, I am the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight are the usual suspects. In the Revere Time Vortex, our violent soundboard vixen, Viscount of Technicalness, sometimes level-headed, oft-times outspoken, occasionally awesome, potentially acerbic, the woman who says during every single pre-show technical test two things. One, dome, say dome, and two, damn you, Microsoft, it's <laughs> Kriana. You forgot fuck. Yeah, he did, kind of. <laughs> That's, mute yourselves. Yeah. yeah, mute your damn selves. I'm starting Shut this up bitch up. <laughs> From the stacks of her personal silence zone in the Dank Dungeon reading room, when, when she remembers to unmute herself, she can be quite interesting or verbose, uh, one or the other, never both. The woman who makes knitting a genre event simply by employing robots for the menial labor, personal assistant to Jeffrey Peterson, because she wants to be, it's the Zombrarian. I heard meet yourself, and I almost did it, and then I remembered, no, now is not the time. <laughs> Yay! From the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, our ginger ingenue, the woman best remembered for her amazing 14-minute death scene in the all-Klingon version of Much Ado About Mumbling, done entirely in Russian, our own reanimated body double, it is the dead redhead. I'm actually in Sochi, right outside of... What was that, the steel curtain or whatever it was he said he had? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem to be working no, really, really like, well. Uh, <laughs> and next week it could make a whole new meaning to the term, you sunk my battleship, for a whole lot of other reasons. <laughs> Our guests tonight are Jay Morris and Christy McDonald from the new comic series, Planets Cry. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Okay, you sound way too peppy. You need to tone it down a little bit. 
Sorry, that's all those uppers uh, I took before the interview. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Kriana, what are we drinking? Not uppers. Oh, hey. <laughs> whatever you're whatever you're on, I want some. <laughs> I think I'm on the opposite. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> You've had and a big hello to all the people in our in our uh, peanut gallery uh who Both who, of them. At Hi, eight Kim. <laughs> Wait a clock said, what the hell? What the hell? Where are you? It's 8.02. Forgetting that but since we no longer work for Clear Channel, time no longer matters. Just like the points. Pretty much. That's right. <laughs> Stephen Moffat writes our schedule, and every time something doesn't work out, he's just like, ta-da, time travel! <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. The snark is beginning to flow, and That's nobody's, good. nobody's actually put anything up on the on the uh, on the board to talk about. That's so not true. I see something I'm very excited I about. I see lots of things. Wrong website. Oh, <laughs> really? Reload. Okay, so if wait, wait a minute. Zombrian saw something she's really interested in. Go yeah. for it. Well, it's Kriana's news item, though. Eh, go for I'm it. I'm just happy about I don't, it. I, I mean, like, I care, but I I can only care as much as I care about anything at the moment, which is not that much. <laughs> Walter Bishop slash the guy who set himself on fire in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> and then jumped off a cliff. And then jumped off a cliff. Oh, that guy. You yeah, know that, that guy. guy. John Noble is the actor's name, but that's how I know him. Woo! Is as Walter Bishop slash the guy who jumped off the cliff on fire. Um, I don't know what his name is on Sleepy Hollow. It's, it's, they just revealed his name. It was, Sam. um, <laughs> oh boy. Uh, it, Jeremy. It was Jeremy. Because he's their son, right? He's yeah, Jeremy. He had, he had a name before that. Just no one cared. He's the Sin Eater. The Sin Eater. Right. He's coming on full time because the writers of Sleepy Hollow are not stupid. Well, and I assume no one else on the cast is watching this now except for us, right? Oh, no, I'm totally watching it. I haven't I'm, missed I haven't missed a minute. I'm the only one who's are, are you caught up, Dome? I am totally caught Anyone up. Anyone who's not caught up, close your ears. He's fucking war! That's yeah. so awesome! He totally but is. But I don't understand. Like, what happened if the apocalypse actually happened, like, before these people came to be? Like, why are they horse? Why are the horsemen like actual people? I don't get that. Because the four horsemen actually were in creatures, in anyway. Creatures. Yeah. So what they've done is they've taken uh, so much of the apocryphal literature and just twisted it all together so beautifully. <laughs> I know. So, I mean, it's cool, but like, really? You well, know what makes me sad, though? Hmm. I I don't know. If this is true, and Kriana can tell me if she knows, are they not going to have Captain Irving anymore? I don't know. I was wondering about that, if they were writing him off for a reason. But, but you know, I think frickin' Guillermo del Toro is secretly working on this show. Oh my oh, god, he's gotta be! Because the creatures are so beautiful, oh, and god. creepy, and beautiful, and horrible, and beautiful. All of them! <laughs> In a very, very Guillermo del Toro way. It's really his style. It just now, that, that one cop who died, like, in the first episode, 
and then the other one who died in the second episode, and they keep just floating them back in, and I love wait it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The, there's the Asian one. Right. Who's who the other one? Who died in the second episode. The Who's, old guy. The old guy who was, oh, 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 the, was chief. the detective's mentor. Right. No, that's not the chief. No, no, no. No, the chief is Orlando Jones, who's now going to jail. I mean, <laughs> okay, okay. Did I, that that one was a little bit Stephen Moffat because, like, honestly, really, really, what police force would seriously consider the disabled eight-year-old for that murder? Seriously, thirteen. Still, I mean, still. It, that was that was kind of a push, and that that was that, a huge push. Oh, we found. You know her. why? You know why? Because racial profiling, that's why. Oh my god, she's in a freaking wheelchair. There is no way, no way that any sane police force would ever try to seriously pin that on that little girl. But wait a minute, think about how many things they left hanging in the air at the end of that, at the end of that Secondly, secondly though, I would like to point out that they're saying they found this little girl's DNA. All right, the little girl was in the frickin' house. Good job, you found her DNA. That does not prove anything. So why then? She nothing. she could have she could have given him a hug around the neck earlier in the day. Of course. And there you go. There's her DNA. And and honestly, no, you wouldn't find DNA. You wouldn't. You'd be more likely to if you'd found his DNA under her fingernails. Sure, because she choked him, right? But you wouldn't find anything on his neck. That's just stupid. That's it's just oh. Okay, come that's on. bad science. No, that's, that's the that's, that's the lazy writing. The that's lazy but writing. But that's really the only downside to it. I, I know, but like because else that they hung out there because that was the only downside. It it stood out all the more. Well. You can't have the perfect episode. I can have my cake and eat it too. (laughs) (laughs) Because that they're getting rid of Orlando Jones. They're not. I don't believe that for a minute. All right. I think that's as big a red herring as everything else. Because he's just such a phenomenal, phenomenal part of that. Oh, oh, thank you, Jason. So, um, the. Corbin. Gallery has Corbin was the the cop that died, and he was the sheriff. Yes, huh? I don't know what the rank difference is between a sheriff and a chief. Well, there Probably is probably because are. it's such a small town. They have a sheriff, and then the chief actually works in a different town, I don't and know. just kind of is in charge of several areas. Or he did work in a different town before all everything went to hell. Literally, right. ah. Yeah. Yeah, and then he started sticking around because all this weird stuff ha- kept happening. Awesomely but, weird stuff. But they can't get rid of Orlando Jones because he is the convert. He's the one who resisted this the entire way through and f- was forced into believing no, the whole thing. No, so was Abby, though. But mm-hmm. more, yeah, and Abby, Abby, I would argue, resisted it more. Yeah, she really did. Like, I was like, wait. The second episode, I was like, wait, so he believes them now? Is that what's going on? Yes. Like, his conversion was very (laughs) fast. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Uh, 
I mean, so it's a good show. They've left it at a nice hanging But place. John it's Noble is the fucking best thing that ever happened to that show. He plays perfectly off of everyone else. When he comes on screen, the screen lights up. One has to, you know, one has to admit the last three seasons of Fringe, John Noble was like the the this this amazing light. Absolutely. But no matter, yeah, yeah, no matter okay. what else was going around in that show, you could look to that character and just go, "Oh my God, this is amazing." So Jason, Absolutely. Jason is totally backing me up here from the peanut gallery. He's saying he also got the impression that Irving took over after Corbin died. Yeah. But I think he took over after Corbin died because, like, I think he was I, well, always in I charge. Mean, who knows? I uh, think he was always. Corbin's- I don't think he was always in charge well, because remember. Stop interrupting me and let me finish what I'm saying. I don't. I think he was always Corbin's superior, but I don't think he had such a hands-on role before Corbin died. I I don't think he always was because they're making a big deal of him going right from New York to Sleepy Hollow. That's true. And number two, Jason says, you start believing real quick when you see the Headless Horseman with your own eyes. Fact. <laughs> you know. True that. You, you make a good point, Jason. I'm just saying that, that story-wise, it was a little unclear what Irving's stance was at the end of the first episode. So, Jay, Christy, have you seen Sleepy Hollow at all? I I have not watched it at all. No so I'm just over here nodding. We're all being quiet. <laughs> Highly recommend. Give it two episodes or more. Yeah, I, do not do not expect to hear Washington Irving. Yeah. Yeah. Not expect to hear it, it's one of those shows and we talked about this out. last week. We talked about this last week. It's one of those shows that has like taken the name Sleepy Hollow and yet has nearly nothing to do with its source material. We when have first, to come up with a term for that. I don't know what, but we have to coin it so people will will quote us. It's like um, a phone. It's a phone adaptation. Oh, Ooh, I like it. That Kriana. Thank you. Dracula is another one. Yeah, it's an adaptation of Dracula. The TV oh, show Dracula sucks. <laughs> what did you say, Jay? I, I said I'd call it meander leading. You're taking somebody. In a certain direction, with it being Sleepy Hollow, but you're actually meandering off of that and heading somewhere completely different. Well, it's not even that. I mean, if you've seen Sleepy Hollow, it's not. It has nothing to do. It's with It's like it. it's it's <laughs> like not even starts out Sleepy Hollow and ends somewhere different. It does yeah. not even start Sleepy Hollow. Just no. like Dracula does not even start classical Dracula, right. except for the fact that yeah, that's his name. He's he's a bloodsucker, yep. and that's he's a it. vampire. Good job. That's where um, it ends. That is yeah, spoiler and- alert, he's a vampire. What? <laughs> Spoilers! Son of a bitch. Wait, 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 wait. Lord of the Rings spoiler, Gandalf doesn't really die. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert, everyone. <laughs> Hobbits don't wear shoes. There Son I said. What? <laughs> no. So anyhow, John Noble who should have won an Academy, uh, an Emmy for the last three seasons of Fringe and didn't, should yeah. probably be winning one for this. Uh, he absolutely there should. There should be a category for carries the show. There, yeah, yeah. There, really should there should be. be a category for, oh my fucking God, twist. 
Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say that for Sleepy Hollow, I don't think John Noble is carrying it. I think he is a wonderful addition. He's lighting it up, but I yeah. don't think he's carrying it. But I like, think that I think that the Crane Abbey relationship and the fact that they're friends and like that there's no romantic tension there. Yes. None whatsoever. Yes. There is there isn't any. Yeah, there and they don't try any, to force it, there to be somewhere there really isn't. It's so refreshing to have a guy and a girl working together on policey stuff and just being good friends and being like, yeah. And not having an, an episode. And we're right. hanging out, and that's fine. And, and not we having don't it, want to bone each other, and that's cool too. And and not having it be a, like a weird age gap or something like that be the reason. Or another episode of Moonlighting. Yeah, you don't need it. Sorry, Brianna, you're too young for that. Your oldest showing dome. Yeah. Oh, Captain America: Winter Soldier. There's like throwing all kinds of stuff out about it. Uh, they're throwing plot twists uh, and Twist! pictures and everything else. Picture! And before it even comes out, they've already written the deal for Captain America 3. Ugh, of course they have. Because there are so many unanswered questions. Because we needed Captain America 2. We always Captain America Captain 1 was America so too. good. You know why it wasn't good? They fucking killed off Hugo Weaving. Oh, but so he always Did they? Back. You it's don't know comics. that. It's no, comics. in fact, you know damn well they didn't. So, I want Hugo Weaving back. He'll come so back. So take a chill pill because he's going to be back. There's no yep. question of that. Yep. Besides, I do, you know, I do that, love me some Hugo Weaving. I just can't help it. That's, that's okay. That's at least two of us. I also, for some reason, like Nicolas Cage, but only as Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you have absolutely no I liked him covered in bees. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great, funny movie. I suppose. Like it's that classic was, comedy. That should... I swear, Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage for best comedy. Oh, boy. <laughs> that is so sad after... Because the, the first movie is such a classic. Yeah, and for him to then do Wicker Man 2 Electric Boogaloo was just... Yeah. <laughs> Wicker Man 2 Covered in Bees! Oh, that's true. No, 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 I mean the original Wicker Man from the 60s. That oh, no, yeah, cool. I know. Okay. Uh, Jace, Jason also... Um, recommends National Treasure, which is near and dear to my heart. Oh, which yeah. is my favorite historical movie of all time. Historical <laughs> fiction. <laughs> historical <laughs> fiction. <laughs> In Heather's mind, there really is that treasure vault somewhere under Washington, D.C. <laughs> it is all true. <laughs> Every <laughs> moment if of only, If only true. we could get our hands on the Declaration of Independence, actually, she, the whole city of Washington, D.C. has a restraining order out on her. <laughs> <laughs> She's not allowed to step foot in the city for fear of the artifacts being squeezed with lemon juice to look yeah, for Yeah, I've been known to show up at the Library of Congress with a bag of lemons and some chips <laughs> and just go down. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> That's going to places so we should be going. Was in my head. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> We've just wow. interestingly taken as many left turns as humanly possible. One more and we'll be square. So 
I want to hear about this Indiegogo project. Sure. Which, which one? It is the called Museum of Science Fiction. Is Museum that the one in D.C.? And they really need help because um, they're trying to raise 160000 and they only have 45000 Wow, that point. sucks for them. Um, but this is for the Preview Museum, actually. It's supposed to be a nonprofit, going to be put in Washington, D.C., and a lot of it has to do with, they're starting with books and movies first. I guess they're just getting copies, original copies of things that they can. And if you go to Indiegogo, they've got pledged artifacts as well. They have um, what an Enterprise E filming prop. They have um, something from Deep, uh, Deep Space Nine. They have the Enterprise dry, dry dock prop. Um they have a bunch of masks and artwork from the Jane Frank Howard and Jane Frank collection. It's supposed to be a three thousand foot square museum um, with a Star Wars vista, an art exhibit space, a Doctor Who TARDIS, um, a Starship Enterprise, and an espresso bar. Uh <laughs> Do you know what the weird thing about this this one is? All of their expensive uh, tiers are sold out. Yes, I noticed that, but they still aren't at, with the money they need, which is weird. I mean, you know, for $500... Uh, actually, no, their $3,000 one is still quite oh, open. Oh, official fan advisor. Well, that's true. There's 24 left of those. But for $2,500, you could be in another David Brin book for $750, Uh you that get all the membership and the merch and all that for kind of thing. For $500, you get to meet Greg Bear. And if you don't know who that is, it's not Smokey's brother. Greg Bear is actually a, a fairly cool uh, sci-fi sci author. That's right. Uh, and for those of us... And then they have lots of movies and t-shirts and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Oh, my. But, you know, it's a nice thing. If you want to be part of that... Um, It'll be down in D.C. with all the other museums, and yeah. So you still have time for that. You have 10 days. If you have a couple hundred that you want to throw around, or even a hundred. I will say that some of them are a little pricey. Um, well, the, the least expensive one is $100, isn't it? No, actually, no. You can cut 15. The least, yeah, 15. 15. Oh. And at 25, you get your name in LED lights on the wall of donators. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but I wonder if they flash. I don't know. Because that's going to be the deal breaker. That would be my deal breaker. <laughs> I mean, you know, if it if it flashes on and off, I, I think I'm there. <laughs> but it just changes color. No, it's got to flash on and off. That, okay. That's that's my deal breaker right there. Certainly need help us. I would like on. to talk about this Terry Moore thing, though. I think this is wicked cool. And Terry uh, Moore, a uh, friend of the show, been on the show. At been least. on the show. If you've been to any of the bigger cons, especially Boston Comic Con out there. He's there summer. every year at Boston. Not to mention he's one of the nicest human beings you've <laughs> met. He is just a nice, he and his wife Robin are just two of the nicest human beings. And Strangers in Paradise may be one of the very nicest books I've ever read. Uh, oh my God. For, yeah. For, it was out for years and years and years. But he has a newer horror comic that he's been doing called Rachel Rising that I've been reading, and it's actually very good. It's very, very creepy, like very creepy. And um, 
apparently he is having a contest that <laughs> where you could be killed by the child serial murderer in the in the comic. Uh, <laughs> what you need to do is you just need to put Rachel Rising somewhere in public and show how you're displaying it in public, but you're not allowed to deface anybody else's property. That's that's the rules. But you put Rachel Rising out and the best photo will win. And you get to be killed by Zoe. I think that's a cool contest. The winner will be killed up in an upcoming issue of this series and will also get the original page and the brush that created the page. And Because I can tell you from reading the series, if Zoe's going to kill you, it's not going to be <laughs> There may be pieces of you everywhere. Yeah, um, he's, he's got a wonderful imagination, and if he's really think this one through, it could be fairly gory, and that that would be kind of cool. Absolutely. Yeah, the whole thing started with. I'm not giving any spoilers. The whole comic starts with this young woman who um, was walking through a forest and was killed by someone, and they kind of put her in a shallow grave, and she came back, and now people keep coming back to life who die all over town not like zombies like they're just not dying they're dying but then they're coming back exactly the way they were but they have no heartbeat they're real they have no um feeling for weather and also the weird part is like one person had their neck broken and they have to wear a brace now because if they don't their head will kind of plop to the Ball side and stuff. Oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I like it better if it actually just falls right the hell off. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're a fan of Terry Moore's, please, you know, if you happen to uh, be doing that, send us a picture of it, of what you've sent out for Rachel Rising. We'd love to see that. Yeah, definitely send a copy of the picture to us. I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll see what happens. Does anybody remember uh, this weird little odd series on, on the BBC called um, Doctor Who. <laughs> Doctor what? Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you go back to the David Tennant years, which I think may have been the best, just saying, uh, there was a wonderful character there called The Master, who was played by John Sim. And John Sim is now uh, starring in BBC America's new original series, the Intruders, which I believe starts in a month or so. Uh, it was uh, written and produced by Eduardo Sanchez, who did Blair Witch Project, and Daniel Stamm, who did uh, 13 Sins and The uh, Last Exorcism. Um, so this is going to be a lighthearted show. It's, 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 it's a situation comedy, yeah. You know, it's him and, and his... His brother's all living in the same apartment, evidently. Uh, <laughs> uh, but John Sim was, is a terrific actor. And uh, I am a huge fan of BBC America original series and BBC original series. And this year has just, this past couple of years, they've just come out with some absolutely incredible stuff. So I'm, there have been some inside issues with the intruders to this point in that it was supposed to be a paranormal series, and it has since 
been toned down, if that's the word for it. Uh, there was, uh, according to this this interview that I read, uh, there was uh, when the series was first announced, there was a great deal of emphasis on the sci-fi and paranormal aspects. Now they would almost have us believe it's a detective story, were it not for the brief use of the word "quote paranormal" end quote in the description. Mm. But still, John Sim, uh, it's definitely going to get a try from me. Only because uh, he's an incredible actor. Well, uh, when do we get Orphan Black back? In March? In March, April. April. I can't April. wait for that. It's, it's I the next wait for that. that. Oh, my God. And where can they go from there? They, they Again, that's another one where they ran the 13 episodes. And at the 13th, just opened the door wide and said, you have no idea where we're going. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Speaking of people who should have won Emmys... Yes. Oh. She oh was so God. amazing. I mean, she really did have each character differently. It was so cool. You know, and it was this whole Billy Westian thing of never once slipping one character from the other. Uh, you know, voice actors, uh, w when we talked to Billy West, he said, you know, it's, it's very simple. You just don't do it. There's a different mindset for each character. And in Orphan Black, it, it was just, yeah. It was incredible, that, that kind of uh, acting with 12 of yourselves. <laughs> well, we spent half an hour talking about absolutely nothing, which brings us to the point where we talk about other people talking about absolutely nothing. By that, we mean the listeners to the podcast who have once again responded to this week's Facebook poll in, in their Typical snarky fashion. So, what happened on the poll this week, Dead Redhead? Um, we didn't have quite as many people answer this one, and I thought we left it pretty wide open. We just asked what was the worst line in a sci-fi movie that you've heard, and I thought we'd get some really cool ones. Um, the winner severely surprised me. Um, but we had some interesting lines from everything from Manos, Hands of Fate, to Van Helsing, which... Was full of okay. Two uh, horrible movies so far. Yeah. <laughs> Starship Troopers, Aliens, Star Wars, specifically Empire Strikes Back. One of our fans does not like the "I'm your father" Luke line. Well, what was he supposed to say? Luke, check the adoption papers. I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that means that we've got some Freudian <laughs> issues going on with that person. Or I'm not sure. Um, and somebody quoted Troll Two, which I, once again. Um, <laughs> But our two top winners, very strange, um, uh, coming in as second was the uh, X-Men movie. The first one? The uh, Correct, where, let me give you the exact quote, because it is a pretty bad quote. Um, it is, da -da -da -da, where'd it go to? It hit on me. Uh, do you know what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that now. Yeah. That's a great bad line. That is a bad That's line. That's a horrible actually. line, yeah. Great bad line. <laughs> and the winner is actually Plan 9 from Outer Space because Good. not from just one line, but people kept sending out different lines from Plan 9 of Outer Space. Because every single one of those lines <laughs> was wrapped in cashmere. That's right. <laughs> I love me, Ed Wood. Oh. I just love Ed Wood. 
Somebody had to. You were the one. So once again, Plan 9 has won one of those wonderful awards that he that I'm sure Ed Wood Jr. really didn't want to win. But he did anyway. So And good for him. He did. You know, aside from being one of the worst movies ever made. And we will come up with something for next week. Hopefully something that'll make people think a little harder. <laughs> As opposed to thinking of the worst stuff in the universe. <laughs> or at least in the genre. So, a, a couple of months back, we met uh, Jay Moores and Christy McDowell. And they said, we, we have a new comic coming out that we'd really like to talk about called Planets Cry. And I was baffled when I saw it. And not, not, not in the way of going, what the hell is this? Phew, just, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but baffled by how far it travels in that first comic. In in comic number one, we go from what seems to be a druid past all the way to uh, a, fu- a dystopian future well past where we are now. And it covers it in one of the most interesting ways. Ladies and gentlemen, Jay Morris, Christy McDowell, written by Christy, illustrated by Jay. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. Um, I didn't do you any justice in that description because it doesn't help. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so let's talk a little bit about what it is. What uh, what uh, part it plays in the whole Eden Park universe there? So let's talk first about Planets Cry. How did this one come about, Christy? I'm guessing you started with the writing. Yeah. Um, so years ago, I woke up out of a dead sleep with this idea in my head, and one of the first people that I reached out to was uh, my buddy Jay to tell him about this insane dream that I had, and then I just sat on it for probably six years where it was just kind of mulling around in my head and I just had this idea of just things that are really topical right now as far as um, the planet and all the things that we do to it and how we're trying to come up with different ways of taking care of taking care of the earth and what would happen if it was somebody's job to fix it and that kind of comes with these characters who are coming from different points in time. I mean, in that very first issue, you meet um, kind of a druidist type character. You meet a gunslinger from the American West. You meet a, um, an English pirate. And then you meet a Japanese schoolboy who are all part of this big tale of the planet trying to kind of restore itself after years and years of abuse. So you start out really early on where two of the characters, the K and Jarvis, who are the the gunslinger and the pirate, meeting up with the druid as they are being carried across kind of the the winds of time towards their goal of kind of saving the planet, saving the world, but in a very, in a much more literal sense than than, uh, typical saving the world type stories tend to be. So, 
you you have this this fever dream. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I get that because I think all writers have that moment where they just wake up and go, "Oh shit, there's an idea." Yeah. And then you hit Jay with the idea, and do you start talking about the story or do you start talking about the look? Because there's a really specific, interesting look to this book, and that from the title, from from the cover through yeah we had um a lot of i mean a lot of the art direction i have to hand to jay um basically what i did is i had this idea and i knew you know i know start middle and end where i wanted to go but i'm not as visual as i could be um i do a lot of short stories and novels i write a lot of reviews things like that but as far as writing for comics i just i don't think as visually as i as i would like to so a lot of it was reaching out to jay and saying hey i have this story and i re it's really important to me that it looks like everything is kind of bleeding into each other because all these times are bleeding into each other all of these um cultures are bleeding into each other and i want i don't want the typical paneled look of a comic because i think that separates things a little too much there are so many pages where it's an, an entire panoramic single image that if you look at it is you know you can look at it very quickly and go oh she says this he says that blah 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 then you start looking at what's actually going on in that panel and there are so many layers to it it's uh it's the the detail scope and three-dimensionality of the artwork itself is really, really something you don't see a lot of. Yeah, a lot of that. Um, I'm a really big fan of J.H. Williams III. Like, huge, 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 huge fan. I can't get enough of him. So I, I lent Jay my copy of Batwoman Elegy, and I was like, I want it to sort of look like this without looking like this, please. <laughs> and <laughs> and nice. Jay took it and ran with it, and it's just, it's such a beautiful book. It's probably... They're really, you're, you're right, there just isn't anything really like it out there. No, there really and, isn't. And that's what I really wanted. What we want out of Eden Park Tales is we want to take this, these elements of sci-fi and fantasy that we're all very familiar with, but we want to do it in such a way that it makes you really think about what you're putting into your story. When it comes to pictures, we don't want just the, the pictures to just echo what's being said we want there to be something very interesting to going on dialogue wise and story wise but also something very interesting visually and i think we really do that with a planet's cry i think it's uh it's a book that it'll probably take you know a reading or two to get everything out of it but i think that's the way comics should be i think you i i think the days of being you know the floppy books that you roll up and put in your back pockets when you're out playing with your friends you know when the the you know when it's first started as comics is really, really different now, and we wanted to approach it in what we hope is a much more innovative, interesting way. So, is, is this the first project that you two have worked together on, or are you, have you done stuff in the past? This is our first major collaboration. Um, Jay and I, what really got me into wanting to do this comic in the first place was uh, Jay asked me to take a look at his first novel, Illweed. Um, I come from an English background. I was a um, creative writing major. I've studied under um, Andre the Third, and you know I've really worked very hard at what I do as a writer, but never really got 
was never really motivated to do it myself. I just really liked studying it, it felt like, for a while. And then Jay brought to me his first book, Illweed, which is awesome. It's a kid's, um, it's a new fairy tale, which is a very interesting and uh, fun way of putting like a, like a male prince as the protagonist. Um, but he brought it to me and he was like, hey, can we, can you look at this with me and let's make it the best it can be? So we, we edited, I edited that for him and we worked on that together. And then um, it just kind of went from there we were like oh this went really well with us together why don't we do kind of the same thing for his comic series autumn gray and then after a couple of issues of autumn gray we were like we can tell your stories and do this too and i was like oh i guess we could and then we started to really work on a planet's cry and that's our first major real collaboration where i'm telling the story and he's following the the art direction and it's just We've been friends for so long that it's, he's mostly in my head anyway. He might as well just be what he finds there. Oh there so. right now. <laughs> so, John, you get this essentially short story and then say, I'm going to turn this into a series of visual vignettes. Because the first... God... Uh, Maybe the first 20 to 24 pages of this are just jammed, full panel, visual vignettes. Yep, there's absolutely nothing with borders until you get to that stark contrast at the end of the first issue. Right. right. How, how do you... How, okay, and, and I'm guessing that that is an absolutely conscious decision. Yes. But it makes the storytelling more difficult. Yes, it does. I mean, then not only are you telling the story, but you have to find a way of transitioning without the easy square, you know, bordered panels. You have to get the person's eye to travel from one part of an image to the next part. You know, the same character is standing in front of him or herself. It, it, I mean, it's a juggling act. You you have one, one panel... Uh that I really, really loved in which you have the same two characters having a conversation through the panel and you literally repeat the two characters five times. Right. If you're, if you're not paying much attention, you're thinking there's some weird cloning thing going on. But if you are paying attention, you're actually just walking with them. And that's, it's, it's an absolute genius way to put it together. It's really, 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 really wonderful. Well, thank you. So how did you, how did you figure out that this was the style you were going to use? Well, for me, um, with the, my first book, Autumn Gray, everything is very contained in panels. Mm -hmm. And I was originally thinking I'd like, to do something with a lot of contrast to that. I don't want everything looking the same. And I had these big pieces of paper. And I thought to myself, I could just keep drawing across that whole big piece of paper, put it all together, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> and that's exactly what we did. Wow. Because that's a huge risk. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, there, there's a risk that you're going to lose the reader if you're not really, really careful with it. 
Uh, the the other big risk is the level of uh, of uh, depth and and precision that's in there. I mean, you really do uh, in in some of these panels get a lot of of, of precise uh, stuff going on all the way deep in the background. Yep, some panels took me an awful long time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, As with any collaboration between two people, even if they're always in each other's head all the time, <laughs> there gets to be a point where you go, uh, no, that's not really where it has to be, or that's not really how I saw it, or that's not really how I read it, depending on, you know. So how, how, did, you, how did you guys reconcile those differences? Well, you know, it's funny that didn't really happen like a super lot because, I mean, Jay and I have been friends for so long. We have a lot of the same kind of almost like pop culture references for things. Um, so sometimes it's just a matter of like if I'm describing something but not trying to outright say it's just like this character. Jay reads that information and is like, oh, it's just like that character and, and works on it that way. So there's, there was really not a lot of times, I don't think, where I didn't, where Jay would send me a panel, I'd be like, oh, this is not what I wanted at all. I mean, there's definitely tweaks and stuff now and then if something doesn't quite look exactly right or if something wasn't blending well. But I think Jay and I just almost immediately had this really great working relationship. And it's probably from working on so many other projects together in the past, but we didn't really encounter a ton of disparities between what I wanted and what he was producing or what he was trying to get across in addition to what I was telling him to do. Anything that he added, I always really liked and anything he had questions on, he was, you know, we I made myself available for questions. So for my side of things, it was actually a pretty uh, pretty smooth process. I, hopefully, Jay feels the same way about my contribution. Oh, it was great. I, I threw away pages and pages and pages of her dialogue, and she didn't even notice. It was great. Nope. I, <laughs> no, it's a beautiful book. I didn't write a word of it. <laughs> so you have this whole Eden Park series. Yes. Explain what that is and how, where this comic sits in relationship to that. Well, Eden Park Tales was, is, well, Eden Park is the name of the park in the Autumn Gray series, which is my first comic series. Um, so that's where that originally came from. But the idea was we needed to create a, a name to put all of our work under. Um, so we, we took the name of the park and we created Eden Park Tales. It's, it's, I'm describing things horribly here. Uh, that's why I'm not the writer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Eden Park Tales, I mean, I think we, we really like the name of the park. Eden Park is a place where, the way we describe it is, it's where monsters and fairies go to hide. And then the story of Autumn Gray is the repercussions of all of those fantasy elements living in this park. And that's kind of sort of what Eden Park Tales is kind of turning into. It's this, it's kind of this 
sci-fi fantasy playground that we've created for ourselves. And we, we really want to explore um, the concept of fantasy and sci-fi in ways that we hope are really new and interesting. Um, I know that, for example, uh, Planet's Cry is going to be, especially as it gets later on in the series, a huge blend of sci-fi and fantasy elements to it. And a lot of Jason's Autumn Grey is a very urban fantasy setting, so there's a lot of the human, the scientific element to it. And it's just, it's just this world that we've kind of created that we want to play in. And while Autumn Grey and A Planet's Cry don't intersect on any level, although if you read Autumn Grey and you read A Planet's Cry, there might be a familiar cameo that you find somewhere in the, uh, in the potential in the body background. count. <laughs> um, but You're going to have fun trying to find stuff in the background because it is just jam-packed with stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Eden Park itself is just this, you know, I, I can't really describe it any, any way better. It's just, it's this place where all these fantasy elements go to hide and we're just telling stories of the repercussions of such. So yeah, that's a good way of putting it. There you go. Where can our listeners find A Planet's Cry? Uh, currently, A Planet's Cry is hopefully in the positive review stage. I actually submitted it to Image uh, earlier in the month, so hopefully it you know, might be available through Image. But if that does not work out as well as I would hope it to, it will be available on our website at edenparknh.webs.com. Um, it is available now for pre-order after February 25th of this year. And you will let us know where it's available, how to find it, where to get it, and everything that's happening Absolutely. in the Eden Park Tales universe. Absolutely. Yes. They're also on the website right now, we have a um, downloadable teaser trailer of Planet's Cry. Um, and a teaser for right Autumn Grey as well. That. Hmm? And there's a teaser there for Autumn Grey as yes, well. Yes, there is. Yep. So feel free to download those, enjoy them, salivate. And I'll tell you one thing, you're going to enjoy the story. The story is compelling. You're going to enjoy the artwork. The artwork is, is very different from the normal comic sense, and yet uh, incredibly compelling as well. And uh, I can't thank both of you enough for joining us tonight. Oh, well, thank you. Us. This was wonderful. I'm glad you liked it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know. That's a prerequisite to getting here. Part of, part of the whole cool shit we Don't like laugh, stuff. it really is. It totally is. I mean, you know, we joke about it, but the reality is uh, when we find cool stuff that we like, uh, mm -hmm. we, we like to bring it out for the rest of the world to, to know about. And this is something that uh, I really enjoyed reading. Uh, I really enjoyed visually consuming as well. So, uh, for what it's worth, you've got my thumbs up. My nine and a half fingers. <laughs> Your platform nine and three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is a, a whole other story for another day. <laughs> so, Jay, Christy, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, tonight. If, you, if you're actually in Beijing, it is 5 a.m. Just say. Well, good morning. Good morning, Beijing. <laughs> Kriana, my darling. 
<laughs> I was totally muted. Uh, Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Uh, there's the music. Has has stuff coming up, <laughs> which I'm sure you might find interesting if, if I knew you actually what it was. had that page up. Yeah, that was. Um, rough. I'll get there. And things. I hope there's things. <laughs> there is things. I guarantee. Things. I personally guarantee things. there will be things. Dead I'm redhead. Sh- Sure, Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con, Granicon, Rhode Island Comic-Con, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit ComicArthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your fa- favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by the Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD Hold a Folk at RobWattsOnline.com. Doom! Brownie, you actually want to talk about who's going to be on or no? Nah. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, check the website. That'll tell you there more than Kriana's been able to do tonight. <laughs> I want to thank Jay and Christy for talking with us tonight about Planet's Cry, about the Eden Park universe. And I want to thank uh, the usual suspects for joining us tonight from the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and our grammar girl, Zombrarian. Ladies, thank you so much. I'm seriously like an anaphylaxis right now, so if I'm not here next week, you all know why. Oh. I'm taking care of that. (laughs) (laughs) From the Four Color Vault of Comics, thank you so much, Dead Redhead. Um, I am not allergic to to that stuff, but I do have Barnabas here, so Barnabas says hi to everybody in the chat room. This is Dome saying, hey, that's not a peanut, I'm not allergic to it. Peanut shared famous lessons, shared joy and reason, or a future to be. Good night, everybody. Yeah, this is this is where a witty sound goes. <laughs>